Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with the esteemed Ike Eisenman. And today we are thrilled to have with us one of the stars of the 1982 film, The Toy, as well as the beloved holiday classic, A Christmas Story, and a good friend of Ike's. Please help us welcome Scott Schwartz. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank you, thank you. I'm not esteemed like Ike, but I'm here. It's okay. <laughs> Very esteemed. Uh, first, I, okay, I didn't ask this that Ike. I wanted to hear it all from you on the show today. I know you and Ike are friends. I didn't ask him ahead of time. So how did you guys meet? At a show. Did we meet at a show? You actually, not, yeah, we first met at a show, but you, um, you ended up, contacting me kind of out of the blue because because my wife tia who says hi yes. by the way she want to make sure you said hi um <laughs> she asked she said she said how did how did you guys meet do you remember because you better remember that story and i feel like since you and i've been hanging out so much that i've known you for far longer than i have but um you contacted me through Facebook because you were, you know, working the, uh, um, the, you know, the, the celebrity autograph uh, convention circuit and asked me if I'd be interested. And I was like, absolutely. And I think that was the first time you and I had ever met or talked. Um, and then, yeah, physically met you for the first time at, yeah. uh, it was probably Chiller, heck, Chill, you know, Chiller, oh, New really? Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I brought you up there before we had even met, but that's okay. Yeah, it all absolutely. Worked. Oh man, it was it was a blast, and so I get a chance to personally thank you for like a, a nice you know two year stint with a whole lot of fun and meeting a whole lot of people and seeing you all over the place as well as everybody else. That was all such a blast for me. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, that's how we met. So there it is. Yes, <laughs> you'd think we worked together, but no. <laughs> I know it's, it's it seems like it's been forever, but it really hasn't. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Well, uh, you started acting young. Uh, when did you first start showing an interest in it? Did your parents uh, it, something push you into this or something that you wanted no, to do? No, 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 no. It just, it kind of happened just naturally. Uh, my dad and I were going to a film group, film club in New York, in Manhattan. And after being going there for a couple of years, being the only kid there, hmm. it, there was, the youngest guy was like 25. And I started, I, was, I wasn't even six, but they would show the old serials, the 12 chapter serials from the forties and you'd see B Westerns and you'd see regular film noir and whatever they were showing. Uh, and one of the guys in the club was producing a commercial for you who chocolate drink and I thought I would be good and asked. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. And he's like, yeah, it's three days, Miami beach with Yogi Berra of the New York oh, well. Yankees. And being a lifetime Yankee fan, even as a kid, I was like, okay, I'm gone. Let's go. Wow, and that's kind of how it started. And uh, did the did the gig, and on the way back on the plane, he's like, "You're great. You got to keep going." I've got a friend who's a, a casting director. Met with her, then she introduces the two agents. They both wanted to sign me, and we oh, kind of asked her which one would be better, and I went with with one and stayed there. And <laughs> you said you just said the one magic word that just you know ruffled my feathers right off. All I took from that is Yankee fan, and that that's. 
so, I'm a Met fan. So. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny because they they've been doing the things about the '86 Mets lately and all this right. stuff. You know, and uh, I was actually there. I took the subway. I took the train into New York and then took the subway to Queens and went to Game Six and Seven. Did you really? Yeah, oh, wow. I sat all the way up in in uh, for Game Seven. I was in the upper deck of of uh, right field, and uh, Game Six I was sort of just under the upper deck in right field. Listen, once. Anybody that goes to a game and buys a ticket with a half an hour to go is a schmuck. You wait till the game starts and then the prices come down and then you get a seat and you go in. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's great. Well, you beat me. <laughs> well, all right. So you did commercial work. So what, what other commercials do you do? Anything that, that we can look up that's on YouTube now? <laughs> oh, yeah. If you look up Scott Schwartz commercials. I mean, I did over 100. Wow. And there's probably, you know, 10 or 15 at least that I found on uh on youtube and other people sent me uh you know links to different things but i mean i did just about everything there was to do from northern toilet paper to <laughs> burger king to uh like hot wheels uh there was a place up in, in new york called lionel kitty city you know i shot for them uh it was actually a fun commercial with allison smith who played annie on broadway right. <laughs> so yeah. Mm. In the her, finale, right? uh, I mean, industrials for seven up uh, with uh, some football players, Pat Hayden, Hollywood Henderson uh, from the Cowboys. Uh, you know, I've got a chance to work with Dr. J, Julia Serving on a chapstick wow. commercial, <laughs> HBO with Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean, I had I had quite a lot of fun. That sounds it <laughs> for sure. Now, so your very first film role that you land is the toy, which is like a major motion picture that I, I mean... You break into the business with some great uh, movie directed by Richard Donner with Richard Pryor, Jackie Gleason, Ned Beatty, also some wonderful character actors, uh, Wilfred Hyde-White and Teresa Ganzel. So you were older already a little bit when the movie started filming. So you were aware of these people and their resumes when you started it. Oh, sure. I mean, I was a film junkie to begin with. So, you know, I knew who Richard was. I knew who Gleason was. Didn't really know a whole heck of a lot about Wilfred Hyde-White, but of course, Ned Beatty, I knew he was. Mm -hmm. uh, Teresa didn't know much about her, you know, when we started. I was 13, and I turned 14 while we were shooting. So, you know, I was, I was old enough uh, to know who they were, their credits, their jobs, and, you know, I, I was a junkie. I loved movies. I, I loved television. Well, with you knowing who they were, I mean, and their resumes, did this cause any, like, an intimidation at all, or you just felt natural at ease when you're doing it uh you know the first moment of intimidation i was in richard donner's office and of course i mean i knew he directed superman mm -hmm. you know but i didn't know the rest you know which was phenomenal as well from the omen to going all the way back to twilight zone um but i was playing his pinball machine and richard Pryor walked in and and dick donner goes uh you have to stop playing for a second or somebody here wants to meet you and i turned around and there was richard Pryor. I was like, wow, you know, just in my, in your head, you know? And I'm like, hi, Mr. Pryor, how are you? He goes, oh, no, no, you don't call me Mr. Pryor. You call me Rich, Rick, Dick. I don't care what you call me. You don't, Mr. Pryor was my dad. So it kind of set me at ease. And that that really was that first and only moment of trepidation of, of like, oh my God. Uh, even when I met Gleason, I was at ease just the situation we were all uh, already in Louisiana and 
uh, we were up in his presidential suite and all that stuff. And it, it, it was, it was just a fun, wonderful meeting. They, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about the audition process? Did, did they have to approve you as well or just no? No, no, it was, it, it was, it was, uh, seven regular auditions, uh, a, uh, uh then a video thing in in new york and then going to la to the the final you know uh casting uh to the screen test and you know things in life are very strange and weird and why they they turn out the way they turn out mm-hmm. um <laughs> it, believe it or not a big reason why I got the toy, and this is again what I believe in what they told me afterwards and all that, um, was the movie Airplane. Believe it or not. How, the, how uh, is this? <laughs> well, Richard was supposed to be at the at, at my screen test. Okay. He couldn't show up, stuck in divorce court number five or whatever it was. And uh, another black actor is there and he's going to be playing Richard's role. And he came to my trailer and he knocks on the door. Hey, why don't we walk around chit chat, get a little camaraderie? Okay. And the guy looks so damn familiar. He just, I, you know, I'm scratching my head. I'm going, I know this guy. I know this guy. Come on. I know this guy. And uh, I said to him, I said, whatever jobs have you done? He's oh, I did this TV thing. This TV. Thing. No, that's not it. No, no, no. <laughs> and he said, well, I did this comedy. I don't know if you ever saw it. Airplane. And then everything hit home. He's the thin jive guy that sits on the aisle seat. <laughs> on the airplane <laughs> and it was one of my favorite movies uh, i don't know if you ever bike to school but i had a bike to middle school and mm-hmm. instead of putting music on my sony walkman i put movies so my movies were history of the world part one blazing saddles <laughs> uh smoking the bandit airplane and abing Costello me frankenstein oh, and i would just listen to them so the minute he said it I just went bananas. I mean, I lost my <laughs> mind. You know, he, you know, he, he's like, oh, you know my movie? And I said, oh, but lay me to the bones, check me up, oh, tight me. And I started doing him. I started doing all the jive talk from airplane. And he's laughing and I'm laughing and we had a blast. So we came back, I go on my trailer, he goes to the set and he tells them, I don't know where you found this kid, but he's nuts. He's, he's, you know, the shorter white version of Richard. He's insane. Told him what I did. So we got on the set and they had built a staircase that we were going to walk down and do the dialogue and whatever. So we did that a couple of times and, and Richard Donna says, okay, enough of that. Uh, go up again, uh, do it in jive talk. <laughs> so I started just coming up with this stuff and he's coming up with stuff and we were just riffing back and forth. And it worked. We got down to the bottom of the staircase and everybody's cracking up, you know, because what we had just done was a whole bunch of nonsense, but it was funny. Um, at that point, uh, after I did, you know, some more takes, whatever, then it was tell jokes. Well, as most 13 year olds go, all I knew <laughs> were dirty, dirty jokes. <laughs> So my agents there, my dad's there. They got a hundred people at the bottom of the staircase, all that stuff. And uh, the first joke was, you know, uh, his, in, in the movie, his name was Jack Brown. You know, so I said, Jack, what's the difference between a rooster and a hooker? 
A rooster says cockadoodle do. A hooker says any cock will do. <laughs> and of course, you know, I really don't know much of what the hell I'm saying other than I know the joke and people laugh. And then I told this other couple of jokes, whatever. Um, and I think they pretty much knew it at that point. I got down the bottom of the steps. My agent whispered over to my dad, you know, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> you can't be doing this stuff. He's 13 years old. You can't be telling these jokes, not realizing that really that's what they wanted. Uh, so they took me for a little walk and I, and I, I, I spoke with, with Ray Stark and Richard Donner and they kind of wanted to feel me out. You know, what do you know about Richard Pryor? What do you know about Jackie Gleason? I said, well, I'm a fan, you know, I, I, what do you want to know? You know, stir crazy, bingo long, silver streak. You know, I, so I knew Richard stuff and they get to Gleason and uh, I said, well, come on, everybody knows the honeymooners, you know, that could, they're like, yeah, everybody knows that it's on TV all the time. I still smoking the bandit. I mean, let's face it. You know, there's no way, no way that you could come from my loins. And I started doing all of the Sheriff Buford T. Justice stuff. <laughs> and they're cracking up and they're like, hey, listen, it was nice to meet you. Great, terrific. Okay. So I go home and it took, uh, oh Christ, 17 days for them to call oh. me back. <laughs> you know, we were, we, were at, we were at the holidays. So this was, you know, right before, this was, you know, a week or so before Christmas. And they called me right after New Year's. And, uh, I mean, I had, I wanted this so bad that literally I got myself sick. I'm, I'm, I'm in New Jersey, snow on the ground. It's 25 degrees, whatever. And um, the day that it was a Friday and I'm laying in my parents' bed, sick as a dog. I got to go back to school on Monday. And uh, the phone rings. It's like 1130 in the morning. And it's Richard Donner. And he's like, hi, Scott, Richard Donner. Now, I told my friends, you know, Richard Donner, but I didn't tell them Dick Donner because that was his, you know, nickname. <laughs> so I said, really, it's Richard Donner. Uh-huh. What did we call you on the set? So I'm, I'm, I'm questioning him, you know. <laughs> and he goes, everybody calls me Dick, Dick Donner. That's when I realized that. I said, hey, can you hang out for one second, please? Hold on. <laughs> and I'm in, I'm laying in my parents' bed in my underwear. I'm not kidding. I got up out of the bed. And I ran out the front door and I put my head in the snow. Wanted to make sure I was really awake. And I come back and I said, I said, hello, you still there? He's like, yeah, everything okay? I said, everything's fine. He's like, well, I just wanted to congratulate you. You got the film. You'll be coming out next week. We're going to do wardrobe fittings, whatever. Great. Thank you. And of course, you know, I said, great. Thank you. But then I hung up the phone. I was going bananas. I'm jumping on the bed. And I'm like, yes, the 101 fever I had just ixnated. Bye-bye. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and felt great and uh you know it's time to go to work do you remember well, do you know i'm going to jump in for a second because do you are you aware of anyone else who tested for the film or also oh, sure. auditioned i mean well, yeah I mean, everybody auditioned you i know, imagine a, so it, but when it got down to it if there if you were had any encounters or knew exactly who the contenders were we didn't know then but after the film uh we we asked if they had my screen test because it was so mm. funny. We, we wanted to see it. And on the same reel was the winner of the Toys R Us Jackie Gleason lookalike contest. So he was on there. 
And of course, he couldn't act his way out of a paper bag. So that was out. Um, and the other kid was a, 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 now a friend of mine who, who's wonderful. His name is Henry Thomas. Ah, wow. So we're the we're the final three. I won't count the kid from the Toys R Us. We'll say final two. (laughs) And uh, I mean, Henry Thomas, I call him the Al Pacino of the kids. He was that serious, that strong, you know, could (laughs) cry at the drop of a dime, you know. Um, And that wasn't me. One of the ones I hated. They didn't need that. (laughs) They needed the emotional thing for 2% of the film and the other 98% they wanted insanity. Sure. So it, it worked in, in the way I was and, and my, I don't even call it style or whatever you want to call it. My personality um, was completely different from his, hmm. you know, which, which funny oh. thing was, is we didn't see each other. They had him on one side, me on the other. So we didn't know it at the time. And uh, it took probably close to 20 years before he and I actually crossed paths. <laughs> and, wow. uh, I said, hey, how you doing? We started chit-chatting. He's like, listen, I got to tell you something. It's been bugging the shit out of me for 20 years. I said, what's that? He said, you broke my streak, man. I had four movies in a row I screen tested for that I booked, and the fifth one was a toy, and you broke my streak. <laughs> That's awesome. I, th- I think he did all right there, too. <laughs> so- oh, listen, he's he's a wonderful, terrific actor, you know, and he's done a lot of jobs and thrilled for him. <laughs> you know, the career that he's had, you know, and he's still going and it's great, you know? So, I mean, mean, I've always been a believer in we're all meant to get the job we're meant to get. That's how it goes. But it's so interesting when you just think about, you know, classics like this and, and if a different actor had um, been chosen, it it would be completely, it would be completely different. Cause I learned about it, even with which mountain I learned about, cause Kim Richards and I screen tested together. We were the first two, uh two young actors you know on on that reel and i learned later when i was writing my memoir from the archives department that willie ames and uh, melissa sue anderson had screen tested as well as a couple other um kids which makes only makes sense but i was completely unaware of it at the time and i think quite often if it had been melissa sue anderson and willie ames what a different movie it would have been you know people uh they, they they always say, you know, oh, well, what was it or how come or all these things. And I try and explain to them, it's the vision that the director has, you know, really when it comes down to it. Right. You know, if they wanted somebody who was five foot five and brunette, I don't get the movie. Hmm. They wanted somebody who's got blue eyes and I have hazel eyes or what you don't get the movie. I mean, that's really what it becomes. You could be the greatest actor on planet Earth. But if the person sitting across the table goes, I'm just not seeing it. Mm-hmm. You're done. It doesn't matter. You, it's your history. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it takes 25% skill, 80, 75, 70% luck, and 5% is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's really what, what, what a lot of casting comes down to, especially with kids. You know, because you, most directors and, and you know, as we're being older, we can reflect and go, most directors don't know what they're getting when they book a child. They sure. really don't. You know, they're hoping that what they see, they can carry over for a two, three, four, five month shoot. You know, 
you know, it's a, you know, Dick Donner said to me, you know, thank God. That was his yeah. words. Thank God. Because <laughs> I, having done all the, you know, hundred plus commercials, hundred plus voiceovers, Broadway, off Broadway. I knew how to act around adults. I was not the typical 13, 14 year old kid. You know, my brains were way, way ahead of, you know, my age. So it, in this case, it really helped because Gleason and Breyer, uh, Breyer ad-libbed everything, mm. you know, and I ad-libbed nothing. The first day of shooting was a disaster. You know, they wanted to get the hardest scene, in their opinion, out of the way first, which is the scene in the limousine when we're going back at the end of the film. He's taking me back to the airport and I'm crying. They wanted to get this done first. Not one person says to me, oh, by the way, <laughs> Gleason ad libs. And I would have said, well, what does that mean? Because I had no idea what it was. So nobody tells me he doesn't stick to the script. He doesn't do anything. So he's throwing me off all day long. Mm. And, and, you know, he'll blah, 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 blah. And then he'll stop all of a sudden. And I'm going, ah, uh, because I'm not getting my cues. Right. You know, I'm not getting, you know, well, okay, where am I coming in here? So the first day of shooting was a disaster. I almost got fired. Oh, you know, wow. they, they took me back to uh, the other producer was, his name was Phil Feldman. Took me back to his little office in our hotel, in our motel. And he called my dad and he goes, listen, we got a problem. Your son does not know the script. He doesn't know his lines. And my father's like, come on. This is a joke phone call, right? He knows everybody's lines. What are you talking about? He's like, well, we just wasted a day of shooting. So, it, you know, if this goes on again, we're going to have to let him go. He's like, it's impossible. So he handed me the phone and I said, dad, he's not saying what he's supposed to be saying. My dad's like, all right, we'll fix this later. You know, whatever. I know what is. Give the phone back. So you get the phone back. He kind of explained to him, hey, this is the kid's first film. You got to kind of tell him what Gleason done. Uh, and Phil Feldman was not, he was a wonderful man, but didn't know, even he, he didn't know how to explain it. So I go back to my room and I'm laying in the bed and I'm crying my eyes out. It was about two hours later. And, and Richard Pryor calls me on the phone. Come to my room. So I go to his room and we're talking. And we talked for about 15 or 20 minutes. And he goes, okay, stop. What are we doing? Uh, we're having a chat. We're having a conversation. He says, yes. But every question or comment has a response. We're ad-libbing. You don't know what you're going to say in advance. And I don't know what I'm going to say in advance. It's just whatever comes out. That's how we do a lot of this. So just pay attention. And when somebody shuts up, jump in. Okay, fine. Uh we talked for a couple of hours. I went back to my room. I called my dad, told him I talked to Rich. And he goes, yeah, that's great advice. That's exactly what you do. Whatever Gleason says, doesn't matter. When he shuts up, say your line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and it took, it took me about 10 days. And I started ad-libbing right along with him. I just went with the flow. Mm. So really, Richard Pryor is just like really kind-hearted here. I mean, he's just... Like no, he was my mentor. Up. He was my muse. He was my go-to. He was all of it. You know, he, uh, I mean, it was the first really big film that he had done after burning himself up. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to be a better person. He wanted to be a teacher. He wanted to be, you know, a, a better man, so to speak. And my personality and the way we got along, I was the beneficiary. I had the questions. He had the answers.
How did Gleason react? <laughs> was he? Oh, he was fine. Hmm. No, I mean, again, it, as long as you called him Mr. Gleason, you were fine. <laughs> you either called him Mr. Gleason or Great One. You know, that was his nickname, the Great One. Um, yeah. It took me about a month, and he's my dad in the movie. I started calling him Dad. I called him Pop. <laughs> and he sort of warmed up to that. He was okay with that. Because I'm the kid, you know, and I'm playing his son. And he he, he was okay with that, you know. But uh, we had we had one, there was a day at uh, the big house in Louisiana and our, our trailers were out in front. And his assistant came up and said, hey, yeah, Mr. Gleason would like to talk to you. Okay. Now on the set, I was allowed to go anywhere I wanted to go, but one place, Jackie Gleason's trailer. <laughs> So I go out and I started going into the house and he's like, no, no, he's, he's in his trailer. And I'm like, um, he's like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. So I go and I sat down and, and, and he and I are chit-chatting and Mr. Gleason, Mr. Gleason, he said, listen, it's enough. You, you drive me crazy in here. It's okay. You can call me Jackie, hmm. but out there you have to call me Mr. Gleason or dad or pop. It's a respect thing. So if you don't do it, then they won't do it in that. No problem. So, I mean, even he gave that, you know, olive branch of, of kindness and friendship. But, I mean, he taught me how to shoot pool. We talked about <laughs> vaudeville and George M. Cohan and, I mean, so many, you know, vintage Hollywood things. Well, that's what I read. I was reading while, you know, researching for this that Richard Pryor loved that Jackie Gleason told all these great stories during shooting, you know. Uh, a little. Gleason told some. He 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 used me as a human shield. That's the only way you can explain it. Okay, everybody's in their director's chair, and people would come up to to Gleason and talk to him and whatever. But he figured out if he would put me on his leg on his lap, that people would leave him alone. <laughs> oh, he must be talking to the kid. We we don't. Let's not talk to him. So he literally day after day would stick me on his leg. And our heads are right here. He's, you know, eight, 10 inches away from me. And he would chain smoke. You know, you can't do that now. But back then there was no PC. There was no nothing. You just did what you did. Um, but he used me as a human shield. So people would leave him alone. I mean, and I weighed all the 54 pounds. It didn't matter. 52 pounds, whatever. You know, but he, he and I got along wonderfully. He, he was, again, you know. Uh, I had questions that not the typical kid asked him, you know, and, and he would answer and he, and he loved it because I didn't ask stupid questions. You know, uh, he knew I loved the honeymooners and I would do shtick for him, whatever. And then every so often, uh, Monday to Friday in Louisiana and Baton Rouge, uh, honeymooners were on 11, 1130 at night. And the next morning he would come in the makeup trailer. Not always, you know, but more than several times. Um, now he would normally do his makeup in his own trailer, but he would come to the makeup trailer because I'm sitting there and he'd be like, uh, kid, what, uh, what was on last night? And I would go right into the episode. <laughs> and he got a kick out of the fact that I'm, I'm four foot nine, four foot 10. And I'm doing him. He loved it. So your relationship with both of them was really great on the, on the set and everything. I had a wonderful relationship with everybody from Teresa. Ned was, was a very kind and sweet man. Wilfred Hyde White was great. Alex Hyde White, his son is in the film. We had a good rapport. 
to the camera guys, to the lighting guys, to the transportation coordinator. I mean, you know, again, I had a, a fun outgoing personality. So I became one of the gang, you know, uh, I paid attention to everything, you know, my lunch, you know, some days I'd go in the trailer, it would just depend on where we are, what we were doing, whatever. But if I wasn't in the trailer, I'm talking to the lighting guys, the tech guys, the sound guys, Gene Canamesa was our sound mixer who did most of Mel Brooks's stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he did Blazing Saddles, he did History of the World Part One, and all, and he's wonderful. Um, the boom operator, uh, and now I'm going to fail, and I can't believe it. Uh, I could see his face. I actually reached out to him right before the virus hit, and we had a wonderful chat on the phone, and he lives about 20 minutes from me, and after all this is over, I'm going to go over the house and go see him, and his wife actually came to Chiller. Oh, wow. Uh, his wife played Miriam, the Vestal Virgin, in History of the World Part One. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Mary. Oh, my God. Now I feel stupid. <laughs> I, just, I just blanked on her name. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, I've, I've had good reports with pretty much everybody I've worked with on sets. Mm-hmm. How about Donner? With how was your relationship with him? He, he just passed this year, unfortunately. Yes. Oh no, I know. He, I call. I called him Pop, and he called me Junior, <laughs> or I call him Boss. It was either Boss or Pop. It was one or the other, and he called me Junior. You keep in touch yeah. with him afterwards. Any sure. Oh yeah. No, I. I you know, uh, Dick, uh, Mel Brooks. Um, Frank Mazursky, Alan Ladd Jr., they used to have a lunch on uh, Cannon Drive in Beverly Hills. And a couple of friends of mine told me about it, brought me down there. And the next thing you know, I'm sitting at the table with the gang. Oh, wow. You know, it was the, the Brooklyn, New York Jewish Club. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and even though I'm not from Brooklyn, I'm from Jersey, but I'm one of the Jewish club. So it was like, you know, uh, I came, said hello to Mel. He had not a clue who the hell I was. <laughs> And then I saw Dick and sat down and we chit-chatted and he told Mel, you know, Scotty was in the toy with Richie, you know, da 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 And Mel loved Richard Pryor. So it 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 became a bucket list of, of just the wow. who's who and had a great time. And, you know, I mean, I, I would send messages to Dick on Facebook and we go back and forth and, you know. You, you can't you know, tell from the accent, but I'm a Brooklyn boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's gone, you know. Yeah. And, and I already have the dates for the memorial service in april and uh you know he was he was just a just a great man just a good-hearted great guy Mm -hmm. you know a hug and a kiss and you talk and has the family and and as you get older and i can attest to this the questions and the things that we say change oh sure it it goes from them just asking you well how's your mom and dad (laughs) you know how's your to how's the family and you're asking them How's Lauren doing? How the how you know? How's this? How's that? And you ask them, and you go back and forth. Now, I, I just what I didn't know was watching this is that this was based on a French film. I had no idea about Lugier. that. Yeah, had, had you ever seen that before? Or no, no. I've seen the poster, but that's it. <laughs> I just watched the uh, trailer for it. <laughs> talking to, so it seemed like a very different movie, a little bit. Well, sure. I mean, you know, there's only been one Richard Pryor. Sure. You know, that's kind of, that's the only way to explain it. You know, he, uh, you're talking about a very special individual, you know, you, you comedic genius. Yes. 
life genius, yes. Uh, a very studious man, you know, and, and someone who dealt with so much pain from his childhood growing up to turn out the way he turned out, that's beyond the American dream, you know. I read that, I read also that you were uh, up for a role in, in the Goonies. Which, which role was it? Oh, I was up for mouth. Really? Well, mm. yeah. My, 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 sort of screen test i mean i'm sitting there with the uh, we were in manhattan with dick donner and steven spielberg hmm. and i'm going i got this you know it's dick <laughs> here we go you know this is great um <clears throat> but again i was blonde wow. the person they cast was a brunette they didn't want another blonde because sean Aston was a blonde carrie green is a blonde you know, so they got these blondes and they kind of wanted the brunette to offset, you know, the, wow. the other casting. Oh, amazing. So, so right after the toy, you get a part in what would eventually become arguably one of the most beloved uh, holiday movies of all time, A Christmas Story. Well, actually, I did, a, I did a film in the middle. Did you? I did a film for 20th Century Fox called Kid Co. that I was the lead in. And, I thought that came out a, afterwards. It, so that came out before Christmas Story? It actually it came out afterwards. They just didn't know what to do with it because um, it was a small movie. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, but we actually shot it uh, several months. I finished shooting. Uh, oh, God. I finished shooting December 10th, which was the day the toy opened in the theaters. And I saw Bob Clark for a Christmas story the following week. Wow. <laughs> Good grief. I was, was going to ask about Kitco yeah. as well, but <laughs> I didn't know that that came out that you shot it beforehand. Uh, I would also argue about your in Christmas Story, your your big scene with you know the tongue is stuck to the flagpole. I think it's probably in the most top fifty most iconic scenes from any movie of all time. Uh, so can you just tell us about that movie, starting with your casting. Easiest casting in the history of mankind. If somebody <laughs> could tell me they had an easier casting call than this, I want to hear it. So as I said, the toy had just come out in the theaters, and I go and I see Bob five days later. And uh, I go, and it's just me and him. There's, there's nobody else there. He just wanted to meet me. Hi, how you doing? And we chit-chatted for about eight or ten minutes. He goes, listen, I'm starving. I didn't have lunch. You want to go downstairs and have a hot dog? We were in, in New York. You're asking a 14-year-old kid, does he want to go have a dirty water dog? I'm, I'm, I'm there. Let's go. You know, <laughs> Go down. We had a hot dog, Pepsi, Yoo-Hoo, whatever it was. We come back. We're talking. Come back upstairs. He's like, hey, I got to tell you, it was great to meet you. Thanks for coming. I said, do you want me to read something? No, nah, whatever I want, I know you can do. I've seen you already. No problem. Thanks. Okay, talk to you soon. That was it. Walked out and uh, walked up seven blocks to my agent's office. Walked in. She said, what did you do? I said, well, we chit-chatted. We had a hot dog. We chit-chatted. I left. That was pretty much it. But, well, you got the movie. He called already. Wow. That was it. <laughs> One, one took weeks and the other one took 12 minutes so you, let's let's talk about that you're you know you're you're great in that movie you're great in the toy too uh let's talk about the flagpole scene first of all how cold was it and how was it done <laughs> uh we were up in a little town called st Catharines, ontario which is between toronto and buffalo mm -hmm. so it was anywhere between 20 and 24 below zero that day the first time we did it so it's brutal out there you know, and I mean, the, we shot it twice. We shot it the first time, took 12 and a half hours. 
Two days later, Bob Clark comes to me and he says, I got good news and bad news. The good news is you're going to be with us a few more days. Bad news. They underdeveloped the film. We got to do the whole scene over again. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't know that was why. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So uh, the second time it was 11 and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. You wow. know. But, you know, it's, uh, again, it was it was Bob's mind working to figure out the pieces of the puzzle. He knew he wanted for Ralphie. You know, once he saw people that I, um, the bully, Scott Farkas, Grover, Dill, Zach, and Yano, he knew those were the guys. Uh, me, Flick is supposed to be the fun one. Well, there you go. That was tough casting. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, in the script, it says Flick sticks tongue to pole. That's it. No dialogue, no react, no nothing. There's no instruction or direction of any kind. And so we're doing this. And, and I said to Bob, I said, well, tell me, tell me what you want. He says, just do what comes natural. Whatever comes natural, just do it. He goes, if I don't like it, I'll tell you. But go ahead, let's go. Okay. So we did it. And I'm coming up with all the shtick and all the, you know, stuck, stuck, stuck and all this stuff. And he's loving it. So I did it three or four times. He goes, okay, now give me more. Just go overboard. Just let it fly. Just, just go. Okay. So I let it fly for couple of takes he goes no no you did it right the first time the way you did it that's the way to do it just keep doing it like okay fine so you know all the uh, don't leave me come back and all that other stuff that, that was just stuff i came up with off the cuff hmm. that was that was that was richard you know that was the, the tutelage and the teachings of richard getting me through getting my tongue stuck on the pole in its own crazy way because i just learned how to ad lib so, how, I mean, obviously, how, how do they manage the, the special effects? Because it still remains, even though I know how it's done, want to hear the story here, I still can't barely watch that scene. And I'm sure that's so <laughs> true for so many people because it just, it you know how painful this is going to be. Just in your mind, well, you can't yeah. help it. Well, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's the the stick, it, it's it's going in the freezer and pulling out a oh. piece of ice and just stick it to your tongue. <laughs> you get stuck. <laughs> but in, in this particular case... Uh, there's actually a real flagpole there, but they put a cover over it. So what you see there is plastic and they just mm. kind of painted it to look like an old rusty pole. And they put a hole in it about the size of your pinky nail, just mm. a small little hole with a tube that went into the snow. And there was a little, there was a little vacuum motor, like a dirt devil, mm. you know? Mm. So basically it was. So, I mean, really that's, that's really all that it was, you know? And there were, takes where i pulled off i tried to extend my tongue and it just popped off you know that was gonna be my question like how how you had to work it see that's one of the things i loved yeah. about doing that kind of stuff is because you if you didn't work it you couldn't you it, it wouldn't work even if it right. worked so you it had to figure to, out what your limits were it has to look real you yeah know? yeah um <laughs> so the even funnier part of this and again this goes to shooting in the in the early 80s so they got this thing ready to go and whatever. And I said to Bob Clark, how does this thing work? And he goes, oh, watch this. And Bob walked over the pole. He stuck his tongue to the pole. You know, they turned the motor on. And he said, and then you just pop off and you go, okay, fine. I'm not kidding, Yike. It was 30 years later when it hit me. After Bob did it, 
Nobody cleaned the pole. <laughs> Nobody went and took a little napkin and went like this. Yeah, no, of so course not. He, so it's like I was I was in my own crazy way French kissing Bob Clark because I'm sticking my tongue where his tongue was, you know. <laughs> that's so that's totally fantastic. Un, totally unsanitary. But I'm serious. It was like 30 years later when I went. I was telling the story and I went. They never cleaned the pole. <laughs> they never cleaned the pole, yeah. you know. And uh, you know, unfortunately, Bob had passed by then. Otherwise, he and I would have had a really good joke. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious! That's hilarious. You no, know, I, but brutal. Yeah. People have asked me, "What is your favorite part of Christmas Story?" And I go, "Leaving." <laughs> yeah. Because, you know. Uh, when when I did the scene, they had they had these things that were hand warmers, you know, and they were just little little bags, and you shook them up and you stuck them in, you know, the mitt. But they were only good for like forty minutes. But they would tape it. They would tape the gloves to our, you know, to the shirt underneath. You couldn't see it, but it kept the gloves on. But it had no lining. It was just leather. It's nineteen forties, hmm. you know, gloves. My hands were frozen. My feet were frozen. Now we had we had battery operated long johns. We had battery operated socks. Didn't matter. Hmm. You know, the batteries run out and your feet froze, and that was what it was. You know. So uh, I mean, the most fun I had was me and Pete. You know, we got to hang out the most, and you know, we we pulled pranks on people and did all kinds of crazy things. We didn't get in any trouble, you know, but we had a fun time. Video games, thank God. You know, thank God for Frogger and Pac Man. <laughs> what pranks <laughs> oh please um throwing water balloons out the window and i didn't try to hit anybody you know we didn't try to hit anybody but we knew if we came close the the, the water would explode <laughs> i'm sorry gotta pause for one sure hello okay. yeah okay i <laughs> I would never do that. I never answer a call while I'm on a podcast. <laughs> a family of rats has moved into my house. Oh, gosh. Oh, Jeez. no. Oh. So we have one trapped in the kitchen under a bucket with a 30-pound weight on it, and it's the size of my little dog, Miss Elizabeth. It's like oh, four or five gosh. pounds. There's one under the sink that we've taped up. Believe it or not, I think there's actually one under my bed because I found a few little things and i think oh, maybe or he's in my I'm closet sorry. i'm not sure so the rat guy is supposed to be he was supposed to be here between 8 and 12 and of course you know of course i talk to you guys at 11 and i get no phone calls so he might not call me till two o'clock this afternoon but it was a local call so i gotta pick up the phone okay. oh i'm sorry Jeez. anyway no don't so, worry keep, um, keep answering your phone because yes. well, yeah, no, the first one i knew who it was work. so i hung up on him that's fine um there you go. <laughs> i mean christmas story was fun so oh, the, the jokes. So that was one thing we threw the water balloons. Um, Peter's room was about four down from me. And Bob's room was about seven or eight on the other side of the hallway. And of course, actors always get back to the hotel before the director. Okay. Now, if you've seen pictures of Bob, he wasn't exactly, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime or, you know, a thin guy, you know, he, he, he indulged. Okay. I don't mean booze, food. Okay. <laughs> so Peter and I are in the room one day and we hear the elevator 
and we kind of stuck our heads out, you know, whatever. And we see Bob and I knew what room he was in. Okay. And I went, Hmm, we got, we got to figure this out. So, okay. So the next day, Pete and I, Pete and I were playing, you know, whatever it was, Mattelman television or ColecoVision, whatever you're playing. And we hear that we hear the, the, the elevator and we look and here comes Bob, you know, go back in the room. And back then when you called room service, they didn't know what room you're in. They would just stick the thing in and go uh, uh, room service. They had no idea. Now mm -hmm. they have, now they know everything. So I'd be like, uh, yes, this is Mr. Clark in 612. Can you please send me up a filet, uh, grill it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and uh, what do I always say, uh, Cut it in half. I like a medium rare, a medium well, please. Thank you. And the, oh, potato, absolutely. Give me a potato. You know, I started sending Bob food. So the elevator would open up and we would be sticking our heads out, and the guy would go down and, oh, Mr. Clark, we have your steak. You go, what steak? Well, we have it here. You ordered a steak. I didn't order a steak. Well, no, Mr. Mr. Clark, we have a fillet for oh, fillet. All right, bring it in. No problem. <laughs> so this went on like every couple of days for like two weeks. And finally, Bob, you know, we're all on the set and Bob goes, okay, I need to say something here. Whoever the hell is sending me these steaks, stop sending me the steaks. Can you switch to salmon or chicken, please? <laughs> <laughs> those, 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 those kind of things, you know. It's amazing to me that the movie, uh, when I, I'm just looking at it, that the movie was co-written. This was uh, written and directed by the same guy who co-wrote, you know, Porky's and directed Porky's. And I love Porky's. It's just, you know, it's amazing to me that the two things came from the same person. His, but his body of work yeah. is so vast, you know, it, definitely an unsung master of filmmaking that doesn't get really the credit he's due. He starts with Black Christmas in 73 with Margot Kidder. So now he's done the horror movie. Then he does Children Don't Play With Dead Things, another horror movie. Then he goes on a couple of years later, is Porky's. Well, <laughs> that's the furthest thing from a horror film, you know. And Porky's goes bananas. And the studio wanted him to make Porky's too. And he had been trying to get Christmas Story made for 10 years. <laughs> Nobody would put up 10 cents. Forget it. Now he had the power. Now he had the leverage to do his movie. It was like August. And they go to him, Porky's too. He goes, I can't do it. It's spring, summer. But I'm going to make my movie Christmas Story. Oh, what's that? And he explained it. And they're like, <laughs> no, it's going to be wonderful. It's this. It's Gene Shepard's writing and all that. So he talked MGM into giving him $4 million toward the budget. He wanted five. He returned his directing and producing fee for a piece of the film so he could have the budget that he wanted. You know, of course, it's easy to do that when Porky's made $104 million on a $2.5 million budget. And you're the director and, you know, producer and whatever, and a writer. So he does it. While we were shooting Christmas Story, he's watching the dailies, he's cutting and editing because as soon as the film gets done, he's basically got to be done so he can go into pre production in March on Porky's 2 and shoot <laughs> April, May, June. I mean, that was Bob, you know. Mm. But the the different things, super babies. Rhinestone, you, you cannot blame on Bob Clark. <laughs> He's a replacement director at the 11th hour, literally two days before shooting, 
the guy who was going to direct it, they either canned him or he quit. Hmm. They had to find somebody. Sure. Hmm. You know, and now Bob has done Porky's one and Porky's two, and he's done crit. They offered him a boatload of money. He's like, yeah, <laughs> sure. No problem. What is this? Dolly partners Sylvester Stallone. All right, this is going to be a disaster, but we'll make the best of it. Okay, let's go. That's what Bob did. <laughs> well, with um with with the Christmas story script, um did the original screenplay have all the narration in it, or did that evolve into the film at a later date? No, it was there from day one. It was there from day one. Okay. Does it look like one, it was yeah. shot that way? But I couldn't tell because it's such a unique film in so many ways, just the texture of it, the style of the narration, and and really the way it overlays. Because that's like, you know, everyone will tell you screenwriting 101. No, do not narrate a movie. That never, ever, ever, ever works. And yet, without this narration, this film is absolutely nothing. I mean, it, 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 it really is. So I was just, yeah, it's just very different. And I think that's one of the things I like about it. And it grows on me every single time I see it every, every single time. So yeah, I was just curious about that, you know, that, that detail. When did you start realizing that this was going to become the classic that it is? I mean, when, um, I mean, it takes forever. The, 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 the process, again, it's sort of like the history of the film. It takes 10 years to get made and it gets released in 83 and it goes on VHS and it sits there. Mm -hmm. And uh, 96, Ted Turner is buying the MGM library for TNT TBS. And he was down to two films. I got the story from somebody who worked there. So I kind of, I know the story. <laughs> um, and uh, needed two films. And his secretary said to him, have you ever seen a Christmas story? No, what's that? Because it, you know, didn't get a big push, didn't get nothing, just on video. And she brought in her VHS tape and Ted Turner and Jane Fonda sat in his office and said, oh, what a lovely film. Sure. You know, it was the two films to go in the package that they needed. Okay, fine. They threw it in. Um, it cost 250 grand. That's what they bought the film for. And uh, they get the film, and then Ted said, "Okay, well, I got it now. What should do it? What should we do with this?" And they had just done uh, Wizard of Oz for a couple of years. You know, the first year did okay. Second year they went down. That was it. Before that, they had done It's a Wonderful Life. It went one year, did okay. Second year didn't do so well. That's the end of that. Their thought process was: we only have two hundred fifty thousand bucks into this thing. If we run two marathons, we get back our money. We're in the profit, <laughs> and we're going to sell it forever. Not under, not realizing none of us did that. Uh, you know, they ran it the first year; it did pretty good. All right, we keep going. They did it the second year instead of it tanking. The ratings go up. Okay, well, let's see what happens again. It's like ninety nine two thousand when you get into the third fourth year of the marathon, um, where things start being talked about you know um the christmas story house i think it's oh three i think it starts or oh oh five but neca the toy company did a christmas story license for toys in oh three mm. that's their first life. and it's 20 years after the film is made there is not one piece of merchandise before that <clears throat> mm. you know once you start seeing you know the lunchbox the the leg lamp um the action figures you, you kind of know you've gone to a different <laughs> level at that point and then it just kept going then it's 
you know, the leg lamps everywhere and it's, you know, all over the place in every form fashion you can imagine from a bobblehead to a pop to whatever, then it's the Monopoly board. You know, being on a Monopoly board is pretty cool. And I, I, I'm <laughs> Illinois Avenue. It's like, that's pretty cool. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm Indiana. Yeah, Indiana but do you Illinois? have a comic book? Do you have a comic book? <laughs> no, they never did a comic book. All right. Well, I got that never one did. on you. So there you go. Never did a comic book. <laughs> now, listen, it's, listen, at the end of the day, it's all fun. You know, realistically, oh, yeah. you know, being a, being on a comic book, having an action figure, a pop, a bobblehead, mm-hmm. a monop- it's great. That and five bucks still gets us a cup of coffee and a donut of Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> you got it, so man. It, you're, realistically, you're, you're... it means nothing. <laughs> You know, uh, there are 30 statues, bronze statues of actors around the world. Now, I'm not talking about like Hall of Fames, nothing like, I mean, just in places around the globe. You know, as crazy as it is, Jackie Gleason has one for the Honeymooners that sits in New York at the bus station. Hmm. Uh, They did one of Richard Pryor, a full-size life statue in his hometown of Peoria, Illinois. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky... Everybody thinks about it, but it's really a prop from the film. So it's really not a bronze statue. It's just kind of the prop. Okay, fine. But they did Jean-Claude Van Damme Schwarzenegger. Mary Tyler Moore has a statue. Henry Winkler has a statue. Well, they decided to do a statue of me at the Welcome Center in Hammond, Indiana, the home of Gene Shepard. You know, and I mean, the thing weighs a ton and it's bronze. And I mean, it costs like 60 or $70,000 to make. And the guy that made it, it was, it was incredible. He's the same guy that did the bust, the bust for Jerry Buss's gravesite. Oh. Mm. He did Gordy Howe statue. He did one of Jordan's statues, you know, Gretzky statue. And he's doing me. You know, what? Okay, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, it's wonderful to have it there. And it'll be there until the end of time, way beyond when I'm walking the earth. Mm. Again, it's great to have that and say one of 30 people in the history of Hollywood have this. I'm one of them makes no sense, but it is what it is. It's great. But what does it mean? I walk into Burger King, they still want $12 for my food. <laughs> it don't matter. Well, you it know? does because you're immortalized now. It, that's <laughs> Well, you know, everybody wants to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I give kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do not. I do. I do not. Jonathan so you're does, like me. No. You and <laughs> yeah. I have no kids. So my legacy is I've left... The tongue stuck to the flagpole and and, <laughs> and the, the statue. We've left, we've left movies and amazing performances yeah. and, and, and part of the classic uh, like lexicon of film history, mm-hmm. which is uh, good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. It, it's uh, you know most of most of my friends have kids and you know they kind of see their legacy as the people oh, sure. they leave behind and all that. And I'm like, I don't have that, but you know mm-hmm. what I've what I'm leaving brings a smile to people's faces and and that yeah. to me i'd rather be that guy than charlie manson thank you very much you know it's just me <laughs> now how many times have you decked someone for triple dog daring you <laughs> it, why i mean no, you know, it, 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 life is to be enjoyed you know sure <laughs> to experience life not just exist in life and the fans come up and i triple dog dare you and this and that I mean, there's only been a couple of instances where I've really called people out for saying it. You know, it's like if if I know somebody is extremely bright and extremely smart, they might even be an executive producer of shows and other things like that. Hmm. 
and you know the world of wrestling knows you know this guy very 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 well he's basically known as a genius hmm. and he actually said it to me and i looked at him i said really <laughs> that's all you got you got the same shit that eight hundred thousand people have said to me in the past 37 years 38 years that's that's all you got man it, it caused quite a quite a laugh <laughs> Now, I, I mentioned the toy, but you also worked with some heavyweights, you know, later on. I mean, you worked with The Time to Live with Liza Minnelli and Susie Kurtz. Also, uh, Corey Haim was in that one. I mean, what, what was it like to work with Liza? Uh, for the most part, she was very nice. You know, there were a couple of days something had happened. And, and I, to this day, I don't know what they were. Um, but you could see she was kind of just having a bad day. You know, you kind of feel people out. And once you start working with them. You know, when they're very, hey, yeah, da, 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 and then the next day they're like, mm. you could kind of tell something's going on. Um, but in the overall, wonderful, you know, and I, I, she was actually performing seven, eight months after we did the, the show uh, in New York out, out on Long Island. And I called her agent and I told her who I was and blah, blah, blah. And she called me back. Eliza would love to see you. So we got tickets and went to the show and afterwards got to see her and hug and kiss and how you been and what's going on, you know? So, you know, talk about an extremely talented woman. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now I, I was reading that you were, you were close with Corey Haim until his, uh, you know, unfortunate passing. passing. Yeah. Now he's my little brother, you know, I mean, I got it here. There he is. Uh, he's on my, yeah. he's on my wall. These, these are my wall of friends that are, no longer here, you know, mm. but no, Haim, Haim, good hearted kid, mm. you know, good hearted guy. I mean, I know him from the time he was 14, you know, until he, until he passed. And, you know, when there were the good times, the good times, the bad times, the bad times, we both moved in an apartment building together. Uh, he was right above me. So we'd get a deal on the rent, you know, uh, <laughs> and he needed something he called you know and and uh you know i miss him you know he uh he was he was a good guy you know just yeah. you know just uh you know life is not fair but life is what life is you know and he uh he was a bright light in the room there was no question you know hell of an actor good looking kid mm-hmm. you know had had his had his demons you know which I, I I think were more manufactured than anything else, but you know, I mean, I pretty I know everything, and I don't want to spend two hours talking about it, but you know, you know, there was an incident that happened, and it kind of just changed everything, and you know, it's where the demons really started, and you know, tough to shake somebody of that, mm-hmm. you know. But at the end of the day, you know, he he passes from walking pneumonia, the mm. two thousand and ten you know, thing that, that just went on. Brittany Murphy died of it. Right. Her husband dies of it. Hain died, passed away from it. You know, uh, I saw him a couple of weeks before he passed, you know, what's going on. We threw the Frisbee. Okay, fine. You know, so is mom. And you just don't know what's going to happen. You still keep in touch with his mom. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've, I've sort of, I've, I've sort of, uh, filled the other role, you know, Mm-hmm. One one son left and the other one appeared, you know, and, you know, we talk and we text and we, we chat on, on whatever. And uh, great lady, you know, yeah. they're 
there is no perfect parent. You know, that's that's how life is. There is no perfect parent. But she was a hell of a mom, mm -hmm. you know. And and Bernie, his father, was a hell of a dad. Right. You know, we we uh I mean by the time that that uh we all went out to LA, I mean, I'm an adult, you know, I'm 19 years old already. I say I'm an adult in the fact that I'm not 15, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you can have adult conversations with parents, be it my parents, his parents, didn't matter, you know. And uh, they're good people, you know. His sister's wonderful, and you know, I miss him, you know. Truly, I, I, I truly do, you know. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I also researching. I just saw about. I had no idea about which I, I'm enjoying tremendously. The quarantine bunch. We, we have a bunch of other uh, actors: Danny Pintaro, Jeremy Miller, Judy Norton. Uh, you did something similar with the Comeback Kids. How much fun were those to shoot? I mean, they looked. Oh, they were great. You know, I mean, a little different though. I mean, quarantine bunch because we did it while you know the lockdown right. happened. And uh, so we're just seeing everybody on Zoom, you know, like this and okay, you know, so you don't even get to sit down and BS with them, whatever. But it was fun to see my friends, to see Todd and Jeremy and Judy and the other gang, you know, um, and Dean. Uh, and the same guy had directed me in a, in a pilot called The Comeback Kids, which was, it was hilarious. It was, you know, two guys that were child actors and they walked away from it for 20 years. And now they're coming back. Mm -hmm. They want to go back to work. And uh, my role in it was I was playing the, the, their agent's son. Hmm. And their agent was Gavin McLeod, Captain <laughs> Stubing from The Love Boat. <laughs> so I got to play Gavin's son, which was great. You know, another, he's passed, you know, God bless his soul. It was, it was wonderful because the director was like, listen, I've written this stuff, but you have a certain way of saying things and you have a certain, you know, way that you are just take and do what you want if i don't like it i'll tell you you know so he was willing to to bounce and, and see what i would come up with and uh pilot was fun i mean bernie capella's in it and and keith oh, wow. coogan and i mean to, uh, a whole plethora of former childhoods which was great you know great to work with them um it didn't sell but it was great you know and uh I, at the uh, we had a screening, and unbeknownst to me, George Shapiro was there. The the great mm -hmm. George Shapiro, who was mm -hmm. Andy Kaufman's manager and managed a whole bunch of stand-ups and all that kind of stuff, and he actually pulled the director aside and said, "Yeah, that kid, the uh, the guy that played the son, he was great. He was funny." <laughs> but he leaves. I never got to meet him, and I'm like, "Oh, oh no, it's George Shapiro? Are you kidding? Yeah. I just want to meet the guy, you know?" Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But again, you know, there's a lot of shows and a lot of things that get made. Sometimes they go, sometimes they, they don't go, you know, but, but anytime I get a chance to work with my peers and, and people that I've known or enjoyed their work for decades, why not? You know, it's, it's living the, the dream, so to speak, you know, we all got bills and we all got rats or we got dogs. Or we got <laughs> what kind of shit we got to do, but you know, we, uh, you know, I want to enjoy it. You know, I, I, uh, I've lost many people, you know, along the way from Dick Donner to Ned Beatty to or, uh, Ned, uh, Corey, you know, and many, many others. And I realized, you know what, I'm going to have fun at this thing. You know, I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. I'm 53. Who the hell knows? We don't know. Have fun every day. I don't care. Sing, dance, tell a joke, whatever it is. 
enjoy every day. You know, yeah, we got bills and we got credit card debt. I don't care. But when, when the man comes calling or the woman comes calling or whatever the higher power is, that's it. But I'm going to go out with a smile on my face. It looked like you were having a lot of fun shooting it. It came across oh. a lot of well, your faces. So, ah, I mean, it's great. I, I, I was basically sitting in almost the same spot. Right. I might have been six, eight <laughs> inches over, whatever it was. But I mean, they gave us a script and all this stuff. And we're just sitting here and we're just, you know, hog styling or whatever. <laughs> I think we did. We actually did, I think, like eight episodes and one something happened with the sound and they never redid it. But we did all seven back to back to back to back to back. We were here for like four hours. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's great because you've got, you know, eight or nine people because kind of, it was set up like the Brady Bunch right. you know, with the screens, you know, and it's great because somebody goes, I'll be right back. Got to go to the bathroom and they just get up, you know, and they leave and then they come back. For the, OK, here we go. Now let's start up again. You know, hmm. uh, I also that you, you were president of a minor consideration is not anymore is you can only legally be the president of a 501c3 for two years. OK. That's, Can you tell me a little bit what they do? Uh, minor Consideration was started by Paul Peterson from the Donna Reed Show. And he basically started it because there was no support group for former child actors. One of his friends had committed suicide, had nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, nobody to talk to. And Paul wanted to do something. And that's how he started it. Um, by the time I come in, it's 20 something years later. And uh, they got a lot of laws changed to protect, you know, child actors, uh, current child actors. And then there's, you know, the former child actors. So we had doctors on staff, you know, psychologists, lawyers, MDs, whatever we needed. You know, if somebody needed something, you send them to those people and they worked with us um, as far as what they charged and what they did. A lot of pro bono stuff, you know, no charge, whatever. Um, and it, it's for... It's not only child actors, it's anybody in show business, whether singer, dancer, actor, musician, whatever it is, it has to do with show business. You know, we, we were there. We could, we could be there for somebody. Um, and, and my thing was my mouth. You know, I'm a, I'm a Jersey guy and I don't sugarcoat nothing and I don't BS and I don't lie. And if you're being a schmuck, I'm going to tell you you're being a schmuck. And if I don't like you, I'm going to tell you I don't like you. And if you're you're a lying bastard i'm going to tell you you're a lying bastard that's just how i am and paul paul wanted that he didn't want somebody to come in and go no 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 it's okay we understand you know yeah you're thinking of committing suicide it's all right don't worry about it. no that's not what he wanted you know he wanted somebody that would jump in and go hey what are you thinking what's going on let's work on the root of the problem um and, and so I was there and it's, it's interviews, it's talking to parents, it's talking to kids. It's, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, and I mean, the group, you know, you go through things. We all did, you know, I mean, Todd Bridges, you know, the passing of, of, of Gary and Dana, you know, and I mean, I'm on the phone with him, you know, and I'm, I'm coming over, you know, again, I don't think Todd's going to do anything, of course, but he's still my friend and I want to give him support and luck, you know, um, Haim, same way, even though it was before minor consideration stuff and whatever. Uh, you know, I, I've always felt that we are the fortunate few. We are the ones that have lived the life of Riley. And who are we not to give back? 
who are we not to share our experiences, our knowledge with those who may need it, you know, or may want it, you know, they might not even ask, you know, I mean, I was, I was, uh, with Zach who played Scott Farkas in a Christmas story. Uh, he was doing a show called Titus at the time on the, uh, on the Radford lot at CBS. And there was another show there and there was a pretty big, you know, male child actor who was making a gazillion dollars and didn't have a clue what the hell life was about. And one of the, a couple of crew guys came over to me. Hey, listen, can you do us a favor? Can you go talk to him? Because he's lost. You know, he really doesn't have a clue of life. So when I talked to him, I said, hey, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. We're playing basketball. Okay, fine. Because the, the stage was literally right behind Zach's. And uh, I said, listen, the show, you're in your 10th season, 11th season. It's only going to go another one or two. What are you going to do after this? And he's like, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to directing. Fantastic. Do you talk to the director? Do you go to the director's meetings? No, no, I know what I'm doing. Okay. What else? Well, I, 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 I'd like to write. I like how the show's great. Do you talk to the writers? Oh, no, no, I, I got it. I can see the scripts. So I said, if all else fails, you don't make it as a director, you don't make it as a writer, what else? He actually looked at me and said, well, if all else fails, I'm just become a race car driver. You know, now there's somebody I tried, you know, I'm trying to explain things. The gravy train is going to end. You know, those three, four, five hundred thousand dollar a week check. No, they're going to end. What are you going to do? The, the, the thing is these days and, um, you know, we had uh, Brad, Brad Savage on our show that just uh, we just posted recently and Brad and I were talking about it, how back in our day, you didn't make a whole lot of money. I mean, you might have starring, you know, co-starring the Toy Story, but no, those were the days when the child actors did. We had no financial leverage because even though our group was small, they could move over to somebody else if it was going to cost too much money. 12 I was making twelve fifty a week on the toy. Well, there you go. <laughs> no, no, wait. Yeah, seventeen fifty a week. I'm sorry, seventeen hundred fifty dollars a week. Yeah, yeah, but these days, um, you know, these kids are making small fortunes and. As we all know, it's not, you know, maybe for some of us, we had some influence over getting to the business, but it's usually the parents that are, you know, moving the children along. How often have you had, or have you ever had a parent ask you, should I get my child into this business? Have you ever had anybody oh, ask you that? Hundreds of times. Yeah. And, and most of the time it's logistics. They don't live in New York, Boston, Chicago. Orlando, LA. No, they live in uh, Oklahoma. They live mm -hmm. in Texas, you know, outside of Dallas, you know, whatever. And you kind of tell them, hey, listen, this is the logistics of it. You have to be in a major metropolis because that's where the casting goes on. You know, so you got to be in, in Orlando. You got to be in Atlanta, LA, New York, Chicago, Boston. You're not in those places. You're in trouble to begin with. Now you're spending money, you know, to go. Uh, while I was doing a minor consideration, um, we were doing a thing with the, a 12 year old kid. They, they wanted to read with a real actor, you know, for the role and whatever. Okay. You know, and they were friends of a friend of, that were in the, the group. 
and and one of the girls is reading with him and whatever. And the mother in kids 12 years old, they're from Texas and they came out to California. The mother in the background goes, Hey, you got to get this job, otherwise, we're gonna have to move back, and I don't want to do that. Wow. Yeah. How do you do that to a 12-year-old? Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, I mean, that's just that's one of the instances of things that I've seen being at an audition. I was probably 20. Six twenty, eh, twenty-six ish, somewhere in there. And I'm at this audition. It's supposed to be like an older brother with a younger brother, and I've always looked very young, you know. And the kid's sitting across from me, and he's crying his eyes out. I want to go play with my friends. I want to go play with my friends. And the mother's like, "No, you have this audition." And I, after you know three, four minutes of this, I can't take it. Hmm. And I just got up and I said, "Ma'am, what are you doing? What are you doing?" Your child doesn't want to be here. What do you think is going to happen when he goes in the room? You think he's going to be smiling and wonderful? No. His eyes are all puffy and teary. They're going to say what's wrong. He's going to say, well, I want to be with my friends and I want to be playtime. And they're going to say, well, why don't you just go home? You'll be fine. Well, you've just wasted all your time. So every time you do this and every day that you do this, you're just wasting your time. Your kid's not going to get any jobs. He doesn't want to be here. And of course, she then opened up Pandora's box. Well, what do you know? <laughs> and I told her. And of course, she's a fan. I said, that doesn't, I said, listen, thank you. I appreciate the fact that you're a fan. However, it doesn't change the fact that your kid doesn't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I was doing, I'm in the business almost 20 years at that point. You know, I've seen, I've done. It's like, you know, you know, but, uh, I know. I mean, I tell parents it depends on your kid. That's just, that's the next step after logistics. It depends on your kid. If your kid is outgoing, you know, and they do impressions and they sing and they dance and they love all that. Okay, see where it goes. If your kid's an, an introvert and you want to get him in the show business, it's a waste of time. What are you doing? Again, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money, you're wasting all your efforts because the kid's never going to book a job. Well, I, I <laughs> my standard line is, would you want your kid to work in a shoe factory? Uh, well, no. I said, well, you know, entertainment industry is the only industry in the United States that employs child labor. It's illegal in every other industry. I said, think hard about that because you know, once you graduate college, if you're fortunate enough to do that, you're working for the rest of your life. How about letting a kid have a childhood? You know, I loved my career. I loved it. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but I did know a lot of kids who, who were not as enthusiastic. Maybe they kind of wanted it or they wanted something else, but you know, that's a, that's a really big deal. So I would just, I would kind of toss it back to that in, 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 in that way to see how, how they responded. Yeah, but I mean, I, again, when, in, when going through the process and going through that time of my life, I never thought about it as, oh, this is my career. It's not mm -hmm. how I thought of it. I just thought of it, I'm getting jobs and I'm working and I'm doing this show and I'm doing this commercial and I'm doing this and this is fun and this is great. And then you're on TV and then you're on the movies and okay, fine. I just had fun with it. I never looked at it and said, well, where am I going to be in five years? Where am I going to be going in 10 years? And should I go to Stella Adler? And No, I didn't do that. What I had was raw and came naturally. 
and I enjoyed the hell out of it, you know, and nobody pushed, you know, I was never pushed to do anything, you know, uh, it, it just, it was just all fun. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, from day one, you get a chance to work with, you know, uh, a New York Yankee and I'm a Yankee fan. My guy was Thurman Munson, but he wasn't there, but that's okay though. But I knew who Yogi was and I had fun with it, but I had fun. That was my point. So when they said, right. do you want to keep going? That's like saying to a kid, Hey, you know, you just want to have one frozen chocolate pop or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course I'll take another one, you know, or a devil dog. I'll take another one, you know? So my thing was just a continuation of going out, getting jobs, working and doing, and okay, fine, and whatever. And I looked, never looked at it from the aspect of what am I going to be doing in 20 years or 30 years? Never looked at it that way. Yeah. Just, just enjoyed it. But you're right. You know, I mean, it's definitely gotten more of the factory lineup than it was before because everybody wants a shot at the brass ring. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the toy, there's, you know, officially there's like 4,000 kids that are that auditioned oh. you know that's a cattle call the first call i had there were like 400 kids there and they just kind of chopped it down and chopped it away and then you get to the to the to the real numbers you know the real people that are going they got a shot at this thing hmm. you know christmas story i couldn't tell you i don't know i didn't see nobody there it was me and bob that was it <laughs> uh, i wanted to follow up with what you're you're doing now i, I mean i saw that you know, I read that you're involved in movie memor- memorabilia now. and I've been doing memorabilia for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I collected trading cards, started out in 75. And uh, 2007, I started a line of trading cards with Donruss, a company called Donruss at the time called Americana, which was mm-hmm. a celebrity-driven product. Instead of all the same guys, baseball, football, basketball, you know, it went a different direction having uh, celebrities. Um, still do some of that here and there, buy and sell memorabilia, do autograph shows, book people for shows like <laughs> mm-hmm. Ike, you know, I still get people and talk to people and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on some stuff right now for, you know, next year already. I got, there's a Super Bowl show here in LA oh, nice. that the guy, the guy wants some celebrities and I'm trying to hook up some celebrities, but some of them don't want to do it because it's Super Bowl weekend. I'm like, come on. You doing nothing on Saturday. Sunday, I get it, but not Saturday. Come on. Um, and I'm working on a thing for uh, the National Sports Convention, which is in Atlantic City, the end of next July. Some some big monster heavy hitters, whatever you want to call them, for the biggest sports member and sports memorabilia show of the year. They get about eighty five to one hundred thousand people. Oh wow, great! You know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm always busy doing something, <laughs> you know, we have a page uh, on Facebook called the Christmas story family where, you know, we, we jump in the VIP section, we jump in, we do chit chats, whatever we, you know, we sell autographed photos and uh, posters. And sometimes there's BB guns in stock, which they will be <laughs> next week. Um, good old red rider, you know, um, but I mean, we've had leg lamps. So we've all, you know, it, it's all the products. It's all the merch. That's, that's our residuals. That's really our residuals and royalties now are, are us getting up our off our tushes and going somewhere and schlepping the bags and, and going, oh, you want that to Jeff? Okay, you know. <laughs> so you do, you, fans reach out to you a lot now still? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I have a page on Facebook, Scott Schwartz Actor. 
Mm -hmm. I tell people go there, you know, on my Facebook, you can jump in. Okay, fine. You know, and I do check it, you know, every couple of days. Okay, fine. You know, get some, get some Mets for the sports program. <laughs> get, they have been Mets. I just, you know, I talked to Piazza, you know, a couple months ago, you know, it, uh, I mean, being who I was, you know, uh, uh, as a child star, as they call it it opened a lot of doors and being with Richard Pryor opened a lot of doors. So it's like, you know, I knew a lot of the Mets guys. I knew a few of the Yankee guys. Uh, you know, I've been friends with Barry Bonds since 1988. Hmm. Uh, Cecil Fielder, McGuire, I was friends with for, for years. Um, Bonds, I still talk to, you know, here and there, you know, we just get in the wow. chit chat and what's going on and whatever. And I talk to his mom all the time. Um, hmm. But it, it opened up so many avenues for me to do things that just people don't normally do, you know, been in locker rooms and clubhouses and done all the fun stuff and partied and gone and spring <laughs> trainings for years. I went, you know, so. Where, where yeah. are you appearing next? Uh, I'm going to be at turf turf and stuff. It's it's in uh, north of Seattle, Bill Billingham, uh, Washington. I'll be there uh, a week from now. I'll be there uh, uh, next weekend or this weekend coming up. I should say it's Monday, so I'll be there on uh, on Saturday. Um, then I'm in Daytona Beach. Here, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the <laughs> hold on. Here we go. You asked, and then let's see. Uh, then I'm in Rochester, New York at a, at a shop. Then I'm in Daytona Beach for a, a meet and greet movies and, and, and uh, Italiano food. Then I'm in Alabama for a couple of days. Then I'm in Baltimore. Then I'm in Detroit and then Toledo, Ohio. And then I'm at, uh, I'm in Phoenix at uh, Asylum Records. I know that that's right before Christmas. That's all. Not too many. Things, you know. <laughs> no, no. But thank you again, and uh, welcome back anytime. We'd love to have you. I just and, tell, like, shoot me yes. an email. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. So, thank you. Well, again, our guest has been uh, Scott Schwartz, and uh, I'm Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman, and this has been Pop Culture Retro. Thank you for watching, and please subscribe. Be safe. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast.